0: Good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Walt Troop. And along with my wife, we are the missionaries uh, at a place of hope uh, in Nigeria. And you cannot believe the amount of anxiety I have gone through this week. Every Sunday that we are back during this time of furlough, we came back uh, in you know at the beginning of January until May. Every Sunday we are in a church somewhere in the United States, and every Sunday I put on my Nigerian garb. You saw it if you were here a few weeks ago. It's a no-brainer. It's just like this is what I'm wearing every Sunday. Okay, well this Sunday we are not presenting, so I had to go out and buy real clothes. And the anxiety that I have experienced is, even from afar, watching Facebook, watching Doug stand here and preach, he always looks so cool. I mean, he can have that oversized hoodie on, and he just looks cool. So, I'm doing my best this morning. I guess I'm doing okay, because I've had four people already this morning say, oh, I thought you were Doug. So... At least the dress, you know, maybe a few pounds more than uh, than our pastor, but it is good to be home. This is our home church, and I am so excited this morning uh, to be here uh, and to share the Word of God with you this morning we uh, as you can tell with amber and even if you were here a few weeks ago when we spoke the different culture that we live in compared to what you you live in here what we used to live in here when we were in america and what's crazy is that you can get on a plane and within 18 to 20 something hours you can leave this culture and completely step into a different culture and there are difference, vast differences in the different cultures in which we live and which we experience here. Uh, they can be things from food uh, to the way that the family unit is and the way that things are done in society and in the government there. But one of the biggest things that we have to get used to is the language when we go into that culture of Nigeria, coming from uh, this American culture. Now, in Nigeria, there are three main languages, Yoruba, Hausa, and Igbo. Igbo is in the area that we are in. But even more than that, there are over 500 indigenous languages in Nigeria. Now, if you really think about that, it's hard to wrap your mind around that, that a a country with a landmass of... Uh, two times the size of California, there are 500 indigenous languages. And so words matter. No matter where you are in the world, words matter. English is spoken there. It's the main primary language, but still, those languages, other languages creep in from time to time. And even when English is spoken there, it's completely different than the English that we have here. And if you've ever traveled outside of the country, not to Canada or to uh, to Mexico or anything like that, but if you've traveled across an ocean to a place that speaks English, you quickly have found out that the English there is different than the English here. It could be uh, the way that they say the words. For example, in Nigeria, let me give you a couple of um, examples. Um, what is that long knife thing that has a handle and you can swing it around and you can cut brush? What is that? A machete? A machete? No. You're saying it wrong. It's, it's a matchet. It. A matchet. What about that that long, tubular, green vegetable that you cut up and you'll put on a salad, and you can even make uh, pickles out of it? Cucumber? No. It's a cucumber. A cucumber. The R's are, are much different there. Uh, just like water is not water, it's wata. So the way that you say the words, even though they're in English, are far different where you are in the world, but also... The meaning of words. We can take certain words and they mean two different things. Even here in the United States. A good example, you may say, uh, well, I hope I get this job this week. Or if you're taking a test or exam, I hope I make a good grade. But that kind of hope is kind of like a, a wishful thinking. Desiring an outcome that, ho- that you hope works out for you. You don't know if it'll happen, but here's hoping. But the reality is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have a hope that is true. We have a hope that is secure. No matter where you are in your life today, you have the opportunity to have a hope that is set and secure and is waiting for you at the time that you leave this world. This morning I want to look at the power of hope. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I hope you'll turn them to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be. As you're turning there, Peter has been reconciled with the Lord Jesus Christ on the beach. Jesus had prepared a breakfast for him. And, and now Peter went on to, uh, on the day of Pentecost, on the day that the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit came, we see this in Acts, that Peter stood up and he proclaimed, he boldly proclaimed the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 men were saved and baptized that day, the beginning of the early church as we know it. And from there, the apostles, Peter, Paul, and the others would would go on to write the Bible that we have today. And they would begin to go out and tell others about Jesus, what, what Jesus had told them to do. In fact, I'm reminded every time I think about those early disciples as I look into the book of Acts, the reason that we have the Bible today The reason that we know about the scriptures today is because the obedience of those early 12 apostles who did what Jesus said to do in Matthew 28 and even going back to Acts 1.8. It is out of their obedience that we have the scriptures today. So this morning I want to put two questions before you before we dive into 1 Peter chapter 1. The first question is this, do you know of or have you received The hope of Jesus Christ. Do you know of or have you received the hope of Jesus Christ? That's the first question. Second question is this, is have you received this hope? Let me rephrase that. If you have received this hope, what are you doing with it? If you have received the hope of Jesus Christ, what are you doing with it? And here in 1 Peter, Peter is writing this letter to a group of believers that have been scattered from their homeland. They had left their area of Palestine, and they were, because of persecution and their belief in the way, and their persecution and their belief in the gospel message of Jesus Christ, they had been scattered. And evidently there was some discouragement going on, maybe some persecution But Peter is writing a letter to them to encourage them with the things that they were going through. And in encouraging them, he is telling them that they need to keep their eyes fixed on something. And what their eyes should be fixed on this morning that we'll discover is the power of hope. So we have a true letter here. Peter introduces himself, he acknowledges who he is writing to, and then he gets straight to the point. And we see this in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse number 3. So I'll read this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is putting forth a point here. And his point to those early believers that were scattered from their homeland, and even us today, is that as a believer, no matter what the circumstances, you have a hope. You have a hope. Peter's not saying that that things are going to get better, just hang on. He's not saying everything's going to be all right, don't worry about it. But he he's pointing to a hope. And I told you that words matter. And so he's not just pointing to hope. He's pointing to a hope. And then he even goes even further than that. He says, I'm pointing to a living hope. And that word living in the original language points to life. So we get this idea looking at this living hope and knowing the origin of the word is that this true living hope points to life. Living Hope. No matter what you face, living hope is all that matters. So that word living, again, I mentioned it, comes from the word of life. And if you've ever had an opportunity to go to a, a funeral and the person that has passed, whether it be a family member or a friend, if you know that they knew Christ, that they followed Christ, there's a different air in the service. We all grieve, and there's nothing wrong with that. Paul says that. It's okay to grieve, but we grieve differently when we know that that person has finally realized their living hope. In the end, living hope is all that matters. Everything that we can gain in this world, everything that we can achieve, every experience that we can have, in the end, only matters, is the true living hope. So the next few minutes, I just want to point to a few things here. From what Peter says about this hope. And the first thing he talks about is that hope is possible because of the resurrection. Look at verse number three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What makes our hope Possible, one event. One event, the greatest event in the past, whatever will happen in the future, one event makes our hope possible, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, God in the flesh, who came to this earth. He was killed, he died, and three days later, he beat the grave, and he walked out. That's the reason that we put so much emphasis on the living hope is because he made that possible. We arrived back in, in the States from Nigeria for this current furlough. The week of Christmas, we were able to fly in on the Monday before Christmas. And you want to talk about a change of culture. Coming from a village with no power and no clean water and then walking into the stores here in America and trying to buy presents for your grandkids for Christmas, that was a culture shock. And thank goodness for Amazon. Even in Nigeria, we can order on Amazon and it gets shipped to the in-laws' house. But one of the cool things about arriving here the week before Christmas is that on Christmas Day, we got to come here and worship with our church family on Christmas Day. If you were here, you know how special that worship service was, that time of worship and and Doug bringing a word. And that morning he said something that has stuck with me. He said that Jesus, God in the flesh, born as a baby, coming to this world, as great as it was, that didn't save us. He said that the miracles, the teachings in and of themselves didn't save us. He said that there had to be a price that was paid. And that price was Jesus on the cross and his walking out of the grave. And when he walked out of the grave, that provided the living hope that is promised to everyone who would look to him, believe in him, trust in him, change their own lives and give their lives to him. That is what living hope is about True living hope that conquers every circumstances only happened when Jesus walked out of the grave. He beat Satan, and right now he sits at the right hand of the Father, praying for you and waiting for you to realize your true living hope. The second thing I saw, I see here from Peter is that is that hope is promised and kept for those he calls. Hope is promised and kept for those he calls. Look at verse number four. To an inheritance, he's describing this living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. As I read this scripture, there's a word that just jumped off the pages to me, and that was the word inheritance. In Nigeria, where we live, inheritance, in, and especially in the area that we live, the agricultural and the farming and the cultivation of land, uh, that really jumped off to me because when an inheritance is due in a family, the land is passed down from the father after he passes to the oldest son. It's very important. Land is is so important there. You can have the smallest bit of land, but yet you will grow on it because you'll either uh, take it to the market to sell it so you'll have food for your family or you'll either consume it on your own. But, but land is very important. So as the father dies, that land is passed down uh, to the oldest son. But here's the thing about an inheritance. Even when the father is alive, the promise of the land, the promise of the inheritance is already in place. It's still in place, even though the father is still alive. The living hope that Peter talks about is already in place for the believer today. If you believe in Jesus and you follow him and you are a child of God, you've given your life to him, your inheritance is already in place. No matter the time that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior until the time that you actually realize that living hope when you leave this earth and enter into his presence, presence, that is already in place. Look at the words, the adjectives that he uses here. Imperishable. Undefiled. Unfading. Imperishable, It will not die. Undefiled. It cannot be spoiled. Unfading. It doesn't change. It will last. It will last. No one can ever take your living hope. It is secure. It's there for you. Why? Because Peter says it's being guarded. That's how precious it is. And he even goes on to say that it is guarded, ready to be revealed, In the last time, I I think about uh, an inheritance from someone that is wealthy and he has the last will and testament. And at the end of that person's life, the last will and testament is opened up. It's unsealed from this envelope that has all of the words. It is guarded and ready to be revealed at the last time as a believer in Jesus Christ. You get the full inheritance of your father. And that is the living hope that Peter is pointing to here. The third thing is hope is perfected while we wait. Hope is perfected while we wait. Look at verse number six. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I've read it before, and I wish I could tell you the author, Lance can probably tell it to you, it just slips my mind at this moment, that we live between the already and the not yet. Have you heard this before? We live between the, between the already and the not yet. Jesus has already paid the price to give salvation to those that come to him. So if you've done that, we're in this between the already that's been done, but the not yet. We have not gone and achieved and realized this living hope. So we live in this time here in the middle. But even in that ultimate culmination of my living hope, and it's not become to, uh, co- to, to realization yet, we're going to have these things, as the old country song says, and I know about old country songs, T-R-O-U-B-L-E. Anybody got any T R O U B L E s? es Yeah, I know. She does, right? Okay, not you. Troubles. Peter calls them various trials. We will all experience these various trials. For you, these trials may be physical. They may be relational, emotional. They could be financial. Whatever various trials are to you, we experience those between the already and the not yet. Whatever form they take, there is a purpose. Though we don't like to admit it, Peter reminds us that... that that as we wait for that realized living hope, we are sharpened, we are molded, we are perfected by going through those trials and either coming out on the other side or just for the purpose of going through them. We are sharpened, perfected, and molded. But here's the thing, the various trials or even how we go through them or come out of them doesn't change the existence of a living hope. That awaits us. It is set. It is unchanging. But what should change should be us living in this time between the already and the not yet. We should have a different perspective in the various trials that we do face. Jesus said it over and over again. Look through the Gospels. He told his disciples that you're going to re, you're going to face those various trials. In fact, the trials you face may bring your death. As we look in the early church fathers, we realize that that was true. You may never die for your faith, but you certainly will experience various trials. And it's how you make your way through those, where your dependence are, keeping your eyes focused on the living hope. It's how we will live a life between this time of the already and the not yet. Ultimately, the results and going through those times, that's what we want to do is we want to bring them praise and honor and glory to our king, the author and finisher of our hope. I have a couple of more verses, and I don't have them on the screen, guys, so don't worry about it. I'm not going to throw you off this morning, but I just want to talk about the next two verses as I begin to end here this morning. Verse number 8 and verse number 9. It says this. Though you have not seen him... You love him. Peter is telling these people that even though you don't see him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's a future hope that awaits Those, us, you, if you are in Jesus, we call them Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, those who have believed and called upon the name of the Lord to save them. We weren't there for the resurrection to see him with our own eyes in this moment. We can't fully even grasp and understand the fullness of the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And to be honest, when we have those various trials, those troubles, it can be hard to focus on the future when the various trials are right here in the now. So how can we know that he was truly resurrected from the grave? How can we be sure that the future, tangible, living hope waits for those who trust, believe, and have given their lives to him? One word. Faith. Faith. How can you not see him and love him? Faith. How can you not see him and believe in him? How can we rejoice with a joy that can be, can't fully be explained? Faith. Some would say that faith is blindly following, but I would say that faith is fully trusting. We could have a discussion this morning. In fact, I would be glad to. I don't think you would like it very much, but I could stand up here for the next hour and talk about historical evidence. I could, we could talk about apologetics. We could uh, talk about how discoveries in archaeology are archaeological. You know what I'm trying to say. Right? Can't say it, but I can think it. <laughs> We could talk about all of that and how the discoveries are showing everything from the Bible. We could talk about the early church fathers and how they mentioned a, Jesus, a, a person from Nazareth, a Galilean, and how they talked about some of the apostles. We can, we can give you that evidence. But in the end, all that matters is the faith that you have that Jesus did what he said he did. That the Bible shows that he went to the cross, that he was God. He died on the cross, and three days later... He rose again. In the end, that is all that matters. The outcome of our faith. Salvation of our soul. As we begin, a little bit ago, I asked you two questions. The first question was this. Have you received the hope of Jesus Christ? Can you point to a moment in time when by faith... You believed that he died on the cross, that he rose again, and he did that just for you. Have you received the hope of Jesus Christ? Did you ask Jesus to forgive your sins, to ask him to become your savior, to totally turn your life around from where it was headed and said, Lord, I want to give my life to you. You are all that matters. Can you point to a time where you have done that? Have you received the hope of Jesus Christ, the living hope? The second question I asked was, if you have received this hope, what are you doing with it? If you have received this hope, what are you doing with it? The living hope that we find in Jesus is too good to just accept it and sit on it. That's what this last month is all, has been all about. It's evident that we need to tell other people about Jesus Christ. It's right there in Scripture. But it's just not here in Fort Worth. You've seen for the last month people stand up here and talk about the work that God is doing around the world. And that's just not for the people who are walking out of here and will get on a plane. You play a part as well. And I'm glad that you do. And I thank you for that. I have two older brothers. My oldest brother is six years older than I am. His name is David. And thinking about this question, if you do have this hope, what are you doing with it? I'm reminded of a story when my brother was a teenager. We grew up in Arlington in a great church. and. We were all part of the youth group as we were growing up. But because he was older than me, he took a mission trip with our youth group one year to Colorado. Uh, they went to work uh, in a church and did some backyard Bible clubs with the local church there. And so they piled in this big Bluebird school bus and they went to Colorado. And during that time that they were there, they took a day trip up into the Rocky Mountains for some sightseeing, just to break up the trip a little bit. And so all the teenagers and the sponsors and our youth director all got in the bus and went up to the Rocky Mountains, and they did some sightseeing during that time. And as they concluded their sightseeing, they all climbed back in the bus and got ready to head down the mountains. And as they began to head down the mountains in this big school bus, the brakes went out. Now, I don't know if you've ever driven those mountains, going up the Rocky Mountains, but some of them don't have guardrails. Some of them do, but that doesn't mean that the drop-off's still about this much on the other side of the lane. And they began to come down the mountain with no brakes. And my brother, in retelling this story to me, was just telling me of the terror that began to fill the bus when they realized... That they were going to be going fast without any control down the mountain. There was a, a van full of people there that had noticed what was going on. And so they sped ahead and cleared out the road because they knew the bus was coming down. And they had gone ahead And cleared the road. And and as they were making these turns and winding around the mountain, every turn they got closer and closer. My brother told me he would look out the side and there was a drop. And they really thought that this was probably their end time here on earth. But he told me just as soon as the brakes went away, they eventually came back. And they got down to the bottom of the mountain. And they pulled over at a rest area, and everybody just kind of got out and breathed a big sigh of relief, and, and all the emotions were there. They found out later that that van full of people were believers. And as they were clearing it out, they were also clearing the way to heaven, asking God to take care of these breaks. But as they got out of that school bus and were taking a moment just to collect themselves... My brother told me that he walked up to the driver of the bus. I can still see his face. He was one of the counselors with the youth group, Mr. Latham. And he walked up to Mr. Latham and he asked him this question. How do I say thank you, God, for saving my life today? Mr. Latham said, now that he's saved it, what are you going to do with it? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I would ask you the same question. As you wait for that living hope, that salvation that is assured to you because you believed and called upon the name of Jesus, what are you doing with it today? That's what this past week has been about. Understanding the difference that you can make, not only in your own city, in your own job, in your own family but being able to play a part in God's movement around the world to all the different places that this church touches. Now that he has saved you, what are you going to do with it? The praise team is going to come up this morning and sing one more song. And as they do this morning, I want you to know, if you have never made a profession of Christ, you've never said, Jesus, take my life. I want to give it to you. If you've never repented of your sins, I'm going to be right down here this morning. Lance is here as well. And if the Holy Spirit, by the way, if you feel a nudging, that's who it is. If the Holy Spirit is moving you this morning to make a decision for Jesus Christ, we will be here and would love to talk to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. We are so humbled that you would love us so much to send your son, Jesus Christ, to pay a price that we couldn't, to pay a price for our sins and justify us in front of you, to be able to one day when we leave this earth because of our decision to have faith and follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that when we do leave this earth, that it is not the end. It's the beginning. Because in that beginning, we will truly realize the living hope that has been provided for us. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that needs that living hope, that they will just take a step, take a step of faith and come to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.